I mentioned you wanted to talk to her for the podcast. And then she got super paranoid and says, they're going to come find her. She'll have to go on witness protection. If I talk to you, his family or whatever is going to come looking for trouble here. So she's afraid of something. But I don't think it's them coming to find her. I think it's someone trying to get the truth. When this thing goes to court and trial, I have one shot and one opportunity to be not guilty or I go to prison in death row. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the reality of it. We have busted alibis. We have caught people in lies. This is just insane because everybody's pointing the finger at somebody else. You just don't hear every day walking in somebody's house, they're going to take the plastic out and pop somebody. So he could get the execution date pretty much any day? Yeah. There's no impediment. This is Cousins by Blood. Episode 14. What's Amy been up to? During our trip to Minnesota last November, we met one of Amy's old neighbors. We'll call her TJ. I've stayed in touch with TJ over the past year, so I could somewhat keep tabs on Amy. We'll be getting to Amy's interview, but I think it's important to hear from TJ first. And this interview with TJ was from October of this year, so very recent. Sometimes when I call TJ, she hasn't seen Amy for a little while, but this time was different and I asked her if she thought Amy had listened to the podcast. I don't think so, but I saw her yesterday. Oh, really? What was she up to? Yeah. Well, I was leaving my house, and she's one of the people, like, you you know her from a block away. Because she's always in her heels and tight jeans and bleached blonde hair. I stopped and said hi, and we were both going up to the gas station, so I told her to get in. I didn't really say much because I had my daughter with me. Yeah, all she talked about was she's still going to court for all her, like, child protection stuff. TJ will explain more about Amy's child protection stuff in a few minutes. Yeah, and she's convinced they're all lying. But Whoever is involved in the child protection case, that they're all on the stand lying. The irony. Everyone always lies. Yeah, and I asked, well, what what do they lie about? She's like, oh, just a bunch of stuff. Like, she couldn't even, like, come up with a story. So one of the main questions that I get about this podcast is what is Amy up to? What is she like today? And because TJ has gotten to know her pretty well over the past three years, she would be a good one to speak on that. If you would walk me through everything that from when you met her and to kind of what she's up to today? Well, she she's pretty much done the same stuff. She, I don't think she really changed at all. At this point, TJ had heard the first season of the podcast. What do you mean by doing the same stuff? Well, like, even though she's lost her kids and stuff now, like, she hasn't gone to do her treatments they wanted to do. She, she started doing some, but they wanted to stop drinking. Like, period. And she just can't. You know, I can never, you know, I don't hang out with her to know if she's using drugs or anything, but sometimes I'm pretty suspicious that she is. 
Well, but, uh, but so when did you first meet her? What year would that have been? I don't know exactly, but she wasn't here very long. I would say three years ago. So three years uh, ago, she moved into that complex mm-hmm. where you're living? Yeah. What were your initial thoughts or reactions from seeing her, hanging out with her, and talking with her from the very beginning? Uh, well, the first time me and the neighbor saw her, we were like, oh, good, another crackhead moving in. TJ lives in an affordable housing complex in Stillwater, Minnesota. Stillwater is about 40 minutes outside of Minneapolis on the Wisconsin border. And as TJ puts it, it's not the city, but it's not the country. And the housing complex is made up of about 20 townhouses at the end of a street. Right before you get to the complex, there's a high-rise of affordable housing apartments. The high-rise feels a little dicey. But for the most part, TJ's complex doesn't appear too bad but they do have their fair share of questionable neighbors. Yeah, she just had that characteristics of, like, being high and all the time. So, you know, we just assumed, well, she must be using, like, the other neighbors we had. Well, and, like, what kind of uh, uh, behaviors would you say? Oh, well, she'd always be, like, super twitchy or jittery. Uh, she couldn't focus on nothing. Like, I used to give her rides all the time because she doesn't have a license. You know, and she'd get in a car, and she just always was zoned out. But she also had, you know, a carry-along bottle with some liquor in it, too. So, like, well. And then, so, when she first moved there, uh, was she married, or did she have her kids with her? She had her kids. Um, That's how I ended up talking to her because our daughters like had an instant friendship you know so you know i figured if you know her daughter was going to want to come and hang out at my house i should meet her mom so she knows i'm cool you know and like myra literally pretty much lived in my house until she had to go home and go to bed you know because her mom was either sleeping, hanging out with her friends. And she had like the setup in the basement. And it was like hanging out with a bunch of teenagers. You know, she spray painted on the walls, had the black light down there, had this like a swing she connected to the beams. But her and her friends would just sit down there and hang out and party. And so her kids were kind of doing their own thing. When she was living there, what did it look like inside? You could tell there was always people there. There'd be all the cups, all the full ashtrays, liquor bottles. But it was more in the basement. But, you know, you get tired of sitting in the basement and come sit up on the couch. So the coffee table would be full. But she didn't really have TV. So they would just sit there and talk and be on their phones and smoke and drink and whatever else they like to do. And But, uh, yeah, so you never saw her use any drugs. Is that correct? No. No, I never did. Yeah. But, you know, I had my suspicions. And so how old are her kids now? Um, Myra is 13, and I think Gunner is he's 15 or 16. So Amy would have had her son, Gunner, about four years after the murders. 
so Amy's living as your neighbor for about three years or so. And I mean, is she, is she working or? She has some odd jobs. Um, she has some, some of the random friends. Like I only know a couple of their names, but the one that was nicknamed Hammer, I think. Amy still has friends with interesting names. You'll remember Smiley and Metal from season one. She, like, she went and worked, I don't know which one. She went and worked, like, yard work, like, cleanup crew was one of her male friends. Um, She ended up getting fired. She was working with that Missy. TJ said that Missy was another one of Amy's friends, and she didn't have the best reputation around town either. For a while doing something else, and she got fired. But I only remember those couple little side jobs, nothing permanent. Her mom was pretty much paying for everything. Oh, her mom Jeff, was? Yeah. Jeff had moved in for a little bit. That's how I met him. You remember Jeff Betcher, Amy's younger brother. He had moved down to Dallas right about the time Amy met Ivan. And Jeff ended up moving in with Ivan and Amy, first at Ivan's buddy's apartment, then Ivan's mom's house, and then he lived briefly with Ivan and Amy when they got their apartment together in Pear Ridge. Oh, Jeff Betcher moved in. Yeah. So how long was he there for? Not too long, because she didn't want to deal with his crap either. Because um, I asked her one night, I was like, is, is he bipolar? Because like, every time I'd see him, he was talking to himself. And... Like, she denied anything. Like, I wasn't trying to be mean. Like, my my son's dad is bipolar. That's how I thought of it. They had the same manic characteristics. But, yeah, he he would drink and, I don't know, maybe they were using together. But either way, he was not all there. Hmm. So you would see him act, actually talking to himself, like he was going yeah. to spell. Yeah, and you know I've dealt with um, you know different like bipolar. I knew someone who was paranoid, schizophrenic. Like I've I've experienced this stuff. So normal people don't just sit and talk to themselves that long. You know, it's not like when you're thinking out loud. Like, he was having a full-on conversation for, like, a half an hour. So here's the interesting thing. This is how instrumental Jeff Betcher was when it comes to the state's case against Ivan. This is an excerpt from Jeff Betcher's trial testimony, being read by actors. Would you state your name for the jury? Jeff Betcher. How old are you, Mr. Betcher? Twenty. When did you meet Ivan Cantu? August 23rd. I, I got a job when I moved into the apartment, uh... Is at a gas station. Is it fair to say during this time that you were doing a lot of drugs? Yeah. What kind of drugs were you doing? Cocaine, marijuana, shrooms. And how frequently would you say that you were doing drugs during that time? Almost every day. How about Amy? Same. And how often were you around the defendant, Ivan Cantu? Often. I'm going to take you to the time that you moved into that apartment on Old Bentry Lane. First of all, prior to that, 
Have you ever seen the defendant with a gun? Yeah. Do you know what the gun looked like? It was chrome with a black handle. Mr. Betcher, I'll show you what's admitted at State's Exhibit 76B. Do you recognize that gun? Yeah. And is that the same gun you'd seen the defendant with? Yep. On how many occasions did you see the defendant with that gun? Every day. Where did he keep the gun? In his jacket pocket. Did he ever show you what type of bullets he kept in that gun? Yeah. What kind of bullets were they? Like, like cop killers, they were called. Who called them cop killers? The defendant. Did he say why they were called cop killers? Because they'll go through any bulletproof vest. Did he actually show you the bullets? Yeah. Was there anything unusual about the bullet? It was like a hollow bullet, you know, the tip. I'll show you what's inside 76C. Does that look familiar? Yes. Are these the same type of bullets the defendant showed you? Yeah. And these are the bullets that he called cop killers? Mm Mm-hmm. Did he say why he bought cop killer bullets? No, no, he just said they would go through bulletproof vests. Did you ever have a conversation with the defendant about how easy it would be to kill somebody? Yeah. He asked me if I wanted to help him do something. Did he say what it was he wanted you to help him do? Clean up. Clean up what? After he goes and kills someone. Who did he say he was going to kill? James. When he said he wanted you to clean up, what did he say? He said, go in there and clean up after I kill him. Clean up the mess. Did he say why he wanted to kill James? He just said there was like two kilos of cocaine, a couple pounds of marijuana, and uh, 13,000 in cash. And did he say anything to you regarding those items? He wanted them. What did you say when he told you that? I said, yeah, sure, whatever. Did you believe him? No. Why didn't you believe him? He was always, like, talking about robbing banks and stuff. I thought he was just blowing smoke. That sounds pretty damning. Especially when you have Amy Betcher, Jeff's sister, testifying to what she saw. But again, no one other than Jeff Betcher and Amy Betcher ever heard Ivan talk about killing James and Amy Kitchen. No one other than Jeff Betcher and Amy Betcher ever heard Ivan talking about robbing James of cash or drugs. So why is that? Out of all the people that Ivan could have told, he told Jeff Betcher? Back in 2000, he was 19, hapless, homeless, and basically crashing wherever Amy went apparently still much the same today. Why, out of all the people in the world, all the people that Ivan could trust, this was the guy that Ivan confided in that he was going to go kill his cousin? This reminds me of information we heard in season one. The only person that allegedly Ivan confessed to after the fact was the court-appointed attorney, the attorney that before he even took the case, Ivan said he knew he didn't have his best interest at heart. Can we believe these people that testified to what they heard Ivan say without any other corroborating testimony? One of the, I don't think it was the same time, but one of the times I was hanging out in Amy's place, you know, he was sitting in a chair, 
talking to himself. Didn't phase me, but, you know, it's like they were all, like, ignoring a bigger issue. No one else other than Jeff Betcher and Amy Betcher ever said they saw Ivan with a gun. No one. Ever. And now, Jeff and Amy are the only two people in Ivan's circle from back in the day that I've spoken to that can't hold down a job and seem to have serious psychological issues. And remember, these two people weren't friends with anyone else. No one else in Ivan's friend group even knew them before they met Ivan. Ivan just met Amy one night at Club 7, and she started crashing with him pretty much immediately. Ivan had only met these two a few months before the murders. So why did these two people say all those things about Ivan? Because it all happened the way they said it did? And Ivan confided in them, and only them. Or because these two people were easily manipulated by the police and were able and willing to help make the state's case. Yeah, I think eventually that's what got him into, like, treatment and stuff. So he left and he went to treatment, or? He left, and I think he went to his mom's for a little bit. But he had left all of his stuff at Amy's place. So when she got evicted, Terry was trying to get me to see if I could find any of his stuff. And I was like, uh, I'm not digging through the dumpster. And then so before Amy got evicted, were there any other issues or anything else that you'd notice which would be interesting to talk about? She was always, she had people in and out all the time. You know, she had let this random family move in. It was um, a woman, her daughter, and the boyfriend. And she didn't know them. You know, but she let them move in. And that was just all kinds of drama so this this couple and their kid like the kid was younger than Marissa and Myra Marissa is TJ's daughter and Myra is Amy's daughter and they would have been about 11 or 12 at this time and TJ is talking about the daughter of this couple Amy had crashing at her place but was on like a phone dating app sending nudes to grown men. And, you know, Marissa would tell me stuff, but uh, Myra was too afraid to tell Amy, so I sure did. Like, you know, these little girls, for one, shouldn't be talking to strange men, and two, definitely not sending, you know, nudie pictures You know, because these grown men who maybe think they're talking to a woman is now getting child pornography pictures. You know, it's like someone's going to get in trouble. But 
it, it took her a while to kick the kick these people out but they just brought like even more drama yeah wh- why did she invite this random family to stay and why would she I I don't know because uh, well they needed a place to go and he was like okay maybe she thought she could make some money off them but I wouldn't go over there the one time I went over there the the boyfriend he was like sitting up on the stairways like on the landing he's in the dark super creepy like okay I'm leaving there's furniture everywhere why are you sitting in a dark corner in the middle of the stairs this episode is brought to you by Shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage no matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. So she was there for about the three years. You kind of notice people coming in and out, some definitely sketchy individuals but yeah tell me exactly kind of what happened now for that final incident so that guy tom who was missy's boyfriend but i actually thought amy and him were like messing around but she denies it but tom had been living there well he would come and he'd stay for a little bit and then he'd leave and he'd come back again but um that night that he made the that makeshift bomb, it was kind of late, but not like in the middle of the night, because um, the kids were still hanging out. He walked down, so it was technically off of the property. There's a trail system, and he walked to the edge of the trail system, and apparently lit it up and the wick was too short or something and it blew up before he could throw it. So Marissa, Myra, and then his youngest daughter came over here and said something was happening. Amy was freaking out, thinking he was going to die. 
you know, I come outside and I see Amy running across the parking lot. One of the women she hung out with, her name is Joy. She was down by the trail. So I just followed Amy and that's when I saw Tom laying there, you know, covered in blood. They already had towels on him. He couldn't see, I don't know if it's uh, chemicals or just a flash, but he couldn't see. And then the ambulance came like pretty much right after that. But when, when they were saying it was a, a bomb, I remember hearing that same sound. Because the way it would echo, it sounded like somebody throwing like a heavy object in an empty dumpster. I remember hearing that a few times, you know, because if you look out the back windows, you can see where the dumpsters are for the apartment buildings. That high rise is directly behind TJ's unit. So we'd look out there because when you hear something that loud, it's, you know, habit to get up and look, but there's never anybody out there. So I fully believe that he was hanging out, making bombs, and then he'd go light them and throw them over the the hill by the trail. But so I know for a fact he had made multiple and threw them, but it was that one that just backfired on him. I I have a couple pictures of some of the blood splatter that was on the trail. And you can see those pictures on our Facebook page under episode 14. And so it was the bomb incident and the drinking and the probable drug usage that TJ says Child Protective Services had to step in and Amy currently does not have her children. And TJ feels for her daughter's good friend, Amy's daughter Myra. And I feel bad for it because, you know, at 13, how many times has she and her brother been taken away from her home and passed around and seen her mom ignore everybody for friends or passed out all day? The bomb incident also got Amy evicted from TJ's complex. Yesterday, she was hanging out with someone at the high-rise. The apartment building's behind us. Most of the people in this apartment building are either seniors or have some sort of disability. So she's finding these people that are kind of gullible. I'm sure she's using her womanly powers to take advantage of some of them. And I asked her, I was like, well, are you staying there? And she's like, no, I just helped. I clean for this guy sometimes. But she had his key. You know, she was going to Holiday. Then she was going to the liquor store. And then she was going back to his place. So for everyone wondering before this episode, that's what Amy's up to now. But let's rewind to 2000 and find out what TJ thinks about what happened back then. You know, and if she was the same back then as she is now, like, she's always been kind of flaky. Like, even stories that I know about, like with Tom and the raid and the search warrants, like, Amy's place got raided after the bomb incident, and Amy made up a bunch of stories about Tom and everything that was going on. You know, I'm right here. I've seen what happened. But she convinced herself or tried to convince everyone else, like, well, that's not what happened. Because she's always kind of foggy. Like, her head's always in the clouds. 
But it's like, if you're questioning her, like, if you say, if you question her, it's like, was he covered in blood? She'd be like, yeah, he was covered in blood. Like, she just kind of repeats the statement. You know, because when she talks to the cops after Tom, like, she, even though it just happened, I could answer more questions than she could. And I didn't, I wasn't there for half of it. But any, anything they asked her, like, she repeated the same things. And they issued a search warrant for her apartment, like, the next day. But um, that girl that was there, not the girlfriend, not Tom's girlfriend, Missy, but it was Joy. You know, she was the one who took charge because Amy, you know, goes in a panic mode and doesn't know what's going on. And, you know, she convinced all of them. She's like, grab grab your stash. Let's go to my house. Let's get out of here. They're going to be coming. You know, so Amy did exactly what she was told because she was, like, lost in her own, like, panic and alcohol and whatever. And I was out there when she got got back and was talking to them and she didn't have any answers she could give but when they said something like did he make the bombs oh yeah he made them himself you know but somehow she had no idea where he was making them at but you know she couldn't answer anything really until they brought up like a specific detail and then that's what she agreed with You know, so that made me think after hearing this case with Ivan, like, well, maybe if the cops were questioning her with details, she was just agreeing with it. And just kind of going along with what she thought the story was. So, but I take it in all your time um, with Amy, did she ever talk about her time in Dallas? I think she mentioned it, like, once. Like, like she was talking about something. It had nothing to do with Ivan or any of that. But she was talking about something. She's like, when we lived in Texas. But she didn't really talk about it. She never said, like, anyone was looking for her or coming after her. Except when I mentioned you wanted to talk to her for the podcast. And then she got super paranoid and said, if you find her again, you know, they're going to come find her. She'll have to go on witness protection. If I talk to you, you know, his family or whatever is going to come looking for trouble here. So she's afraid of something. But I don't think it's them coming to find her. I think it's someone trying to get the truth. So last November, Eisenberg and I were up in Stillwater, Minnesota, trying to get to the truth. And just for the record, did you take a lie detector test or not? I offered to take one. So you offered to take one and they declined it? Uh, They didn't give me one. Did you offer to take one? Yeah. And what'd they say? And they were... Um, I just got done having, like, not too long ago, I just got done having a, a thingamajiggy bopper 
I'm on abortion or whatever. An abortion? Yeah. So you were on medication and they didn't want you to take it or? Um, I wasn't on medication. They said it could damage or do something to my body. Oh, okay. So not to be, this is totally personal, I get that. But, um, why did I have a abortion? No, 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 no. I know they're wrong and they're not polite. No, but, I'm not um, saying that. That's your, that's your business as a woman. Yes. It's your that's body. I'm saying, was it Ivan's baby? Next time on Cousins by Blood. To find out more about the case, Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cousins by Blood Podcast. If you have any information about this case, you can message through social media or email us at cousinsbybloodpodcast at gmail.com. Prosecutor Gail Falco's lines read by Catherine Ganimi Leach. Jeff Betcher's lines read by Logan Cordell. Mixing and mastering by Jody Abbott. Thank you for listening and stay tuned.